On this episode of DL Extend, we discuss the reasons to hop to different distros. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitward. Welcome to episode 54 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Groups, Discord Servers, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. And welcome. Hello, everybody. With me are my fantastic co-hosts, as always, Wendy, the photographer extraordinaire who puts all of us to shame when it comes to photos, and Nate, the open SUSE person that is totally unhealthy obsession with it. What's going on, guys? Wonderful things. Yep, yep, smooth. <laughs> wonderful things. All I got from Nate was wonderful things. Got nothing from Wendy. That's right. It just shows our level of professionalism and how we just can flow back and forth. And I think it sounds great. We totally don't do professionalism here. <laughs> this is Destination Linux Network, so of course it's professional. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Every time. I'll totally remember that the next time I listen to the unedited version of Hardware Addicts. <laughs> ah. Which nobody has access to. Exactly. <laughs> So, Nate, what have you been up to over the last week? Well, lots of things, lots of things. But I think probably the most interesting, at least in relation to this show, is I did a computer repair on an HP Pavilion 15. Not that old. I think it's like a 2018-19 version. The touchpad stopped working. It's actually for a lady. She's in her 80s and she runs OpenSUSE Leap. So she wants some hardware help. First, I was like, oh no, did OpenSUSE do something awful? But no, it wasn't. It was just the touchpad. Like, it's one of those like, all-in-one touchpads. You don't have buttons. You just push on the touchpad and depending on where you push it, it determines what buttons being pushed. Yeah, the quick pads. I think those should go the way of the dodo bird. They're not because of Apple, I guess. I did like an estimate. Is how much it's going to cost to fix? It's under warranty. So she sent that in to get whatever to pay for it. But I got a touchpad for like 25 bucks and I put it in. I kind of made note of the battery, but I didn't really key in on it. So the new touchpad didn't work, which means the old touchpad is probably still working. It just was not working because the battery has become all puffed up. It's supposed to be a nominal thickness of about six millimeters, just under, and it expanded to 10 millimeters, which is causing pressure on the bottom plate and pushed up against the touchpad, causing it to act as though it was continually being pushed, which is why she was having issues with the computer. Doing a little research, what causes a puffed up lithium polymer battery I discovered, well, that's actually a dangerous condition. That means it's probably going to have an incident. I don't want this lady to have an incident in her lap using her computer. Samsung had a series of those with puffed up batteries that didn't have room to expand. They did. Called the Galaxy Note 7. I'm sure this lady's not going to put the computer in her pocket, so it's not going to give her burns. I don't want the computer to be destroyed of a failed battery. It does have a new touchpad in there. I ordered another battery for it's like $30-ish for a battery. Just came in, so hopefully this week sometime I can meet up with her and fix that too. Apparently, one of the causes of failure is... Storing it at a high charge, not allowing it to discharge, or storing it at a low charge. So it seems like it's a very precarious energy source at this point. Now I'm concerned because I do have a lithium polymer battery in my HP. It's not underneath the touchpad. It's underneath a different spot. Out of curiosity, I'm going to probably just take the bottom pan off and check it periodically just to see. I do use the battery quite a bit. In fact, that's one of the reasons I like it because it goes forever on a battery. It would be interesting to check it and maybe actually take it out from time to time and actually measure it with my calipers to see how thick the cells are getting you know, over a period of time and chart it. Wendy, how about you? I understand you've been doing some interesting things uh, relating to your workflow in life. Yes, I have. I got anxious and couldn't take it and wanted my desk brought in on Monday. I normally would have been recording Hardware Addicts that night, but some things got shifted around. So we had time to get the desk brought in. I was super excited. I was putting stuff on the desk, getting things set up, and I realized that the top of it was still soft enough that things were sinking into my desk. Oh, boy. 
boy. So thankfully it wasn't too dramatic and I caught it. Like literally my tower, there were rings where the feet go. It was sinking into my desk. So that was Monday night. We record on a Wednesday and then you guys get the show the following Tuesday. So by the time you hear this, all of the stuff will most likely be on my desk. And if it's not by the time you hear this, I'm going to be really angry. But as of right now, time of recording, it is still too soft to have anything on, especially if there is specific pressure points. I shared a picture with Nate this morning, what it looks like when you rush the epoxy job in a garage that was too cold for it to fully sit up in a week. Thankfully, I had some packing foam. It's some of the pretty thick, sturdier stuff. So that's what my keyboard is sitting on. My mic stand can't actually be attached to the desk because that would cause damage to the top until it fully hardened. I took the stand from an old blue microphone, one of those snowball ones, took it off. I attached my mic to it. Then the mic, because it has really, they're not pointy feet, but in this case, they seem pretty pointy. So I've got all of that sitting on top of a foam pad. It looks really redneck. It's all kind of like mashed together and sitting on foam and it's just the bare bones. Okay. Now in fairness, when I looked at the picture, I thought it looked pretty darn cool. I didn't even look at the foam pads. I'm like, look at that desk. Yo, the desk is gorgeous. I want a desk like that. The desk is awesome, but I get what Wendy's saying as far as the hack together nature of her assembly so she can use said desk. Exactly. Exactly. Because there's no way we're bringing the other desk in. The other desk is this massive, solid, well, it's particle board, but all the boards are an inch thick. That thing is heavy. We're not doing the swing back around and put everything back together and do it again. So I needed a way to actually get shows done to use the basics of my computer. So there's the keyboard, the mouse, and then my audio interface. That is all that is connected to my system right now. Nothing else. My tower is on the floor below it. But thanks to the fact that this is a standing desk, I was able to raise it up enough that even though I'm using the feet from the snowball, it's actually in a relatively good position for talking into. Though my keyboard has to be pushed all the way off to the side because I can't have them both in line at the same time. So you guys have my undivided attention this time. I can't search for anything while talking to you. That sounds great. Well, we appreciate that very much, Wendy. <laughs> Normally, it's like stuff you guys are talking about that I'm looking up, but still. I really didn't know how to respond to that. Can't pay attention. I mean, if I couldn't search stuff while talking to you people, I don't know what I'd do with myself. Finger be up my nose or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. It'd be terrible for everybody involved. Your ADD would get the best of you. Yeah. I don't know how you guys put up with me right now in that regard. Ah, it's actually pretty easy. What's going on with you, Matt? I ended up getting some new to me hardware again. I am like you and your husband, Wendy. I am really rough on the phones I use. So my daily driver for a while, at least the last year or so, has been the OnePlus 7T. Love the phone. Love the 90 hertz display. All, you know, smooth, fast, all that stuff. Triple camera setup. All that jazz. Love it. However, I've had way too many one too many close calls with dropping that stupid thing. So I tried going minimalist. I tried going the opposite end of the spectrum. I tried going with the palm phone. Palm phone does everything I need it to. That battery life, though, is manageable, but it also is not practical. I'm somewhere in this between minimalist, but I don't need the most uber high-powered device either. Between the close calls and what I need, battery life is the most important thing to me, and that's what I've found. So I end up picking up, which is essentially what most people would call the ugliest looking ruggedized phone you could possibly find. And that is the Sodom XP8. Now, this thing is actually meant for like first responders and stuff. That's how 
bad I am with phones as far as how badly I beat on them. And then it's probably a good choice. This is actually meant for like FirstNet. There's a bunch of built-in stuff that I don't use. Likely, all that stuff is removable. I do like that. Physical hardware buttons for the home, back, all that stuff. There's actually physical buttons. That's a little weird to see. Two cameras, front and back. That's it. Nothing in between. Novel idea, user replaceable battery and dual SIM and micro SD cards. Did we just jump back to 2010? You would think given the design of this thing, because it's about as thick as my pinky or my index finger. It is a thick phone, but that's because it's a ruggedized case because it's built to mil spec. Water, dust, all that kind of stuff proof. I mean, I think that sounds great myself. That sounds like a perfect phone. For your particular workflow, Nate, it would be perfectly fine because it's four gigs. It's an older device. They do come unlocked. I specifically have the open box version of the Sprint version, but I have a T-Mobile SIM in it right now. And it works perfectly fine, data, all that stuff. The one thing is Sonom is actually pretty good about their software updates. Uh, I believe they just upgraded these to Android 10. I'm in a little weird spot because Sprint. OTA updates for that, I don't know. Wendy, this will fall into more your end of the spectrum. You can actually use other carrier versions, shall we say, to get Android 10 on the device. It's not actually hard. They don't lock anything as far as like the bootloader and all that stuff. It's all there from what I've been able to find. Thing that I loved about this though, user replaceable 4,900 milliamp hour battery. Wow. Dang. 100 under 5,000. Price for this, $150. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Like I said, the security patch thing is mostly, I'm going to assume because of my device not so much of the other devices that I've seen. This particular one I have hasn't gotten a security update in like nine months, I think. So that's my only concerning part. This thing came out in 2018. Two or three years of support by an Android manufacturer is actually pretty good. Yeah, I'd say. If they are that open about the bootloader and all of that good stuff, do they have stock images on their website for the phone? I have not seen any. I have checked XDA and it seems like that's where I found out that people have been able to flash Android 10 onto this using other carrier versions for the phone. Basically, they've ported the AT&T version onto the Sprint and T-Mobile and Verizon versions of the phone from what I've been able to find, which if that's the case, I'm totally fine with that. And really, that typically isn't too bad because it's just a different model number for that version. And the only difference typically is some of the software additives, not the actual hardware. So swapping between those versions is typically very safe. And I want to put a warning on that. If you have a device and you can't find your carrier version, make sure you double check so you don't end up with a brick. And in this case, if you do brick this phone, you will literally have a brick. Use has been great. It's only a five-inch screen. It's a little weird going back to it because the actual overall phone footprint is about the same size, like screen ratio-wise, to my OnePlus 7T. So there's a lot more bezel and stuff, but it has a bigger antenna. It has a lot of different stuff. The thing that others will like, USB-C for charging. Nice. The batteries are, I think they're like $25 to get. They're not like uber expensive to replace. Yeah, that's really not bad for a replacement battery. I'm curious where it's got a more heavy-duty antenna in it. If you go to places that you normally wouldn't have as good of service, if that changes a bit. That's one of the things that I've really liked about Motorola phones is they typically have these last ones not quite as much, especially before Lenovo bought them out. 
They have absolutely amazing antennas in them. So if there's a place that a different brand wouldn't have service, the Motorola would pick it up, which is one of the reasons why we'd switched to Motorola in the past. If that one gets really good service, even if it's not the phone that my husband uses on a day-to-day basis, when he's up in the mountains, that would be a great one to switch his SIM card to if it would pick up service where other ones wouldn't. I can only speak to my usage. So the one thing I found is like my OnePlus 7T, the Palm phone, like a lot of the phones that I've used as an example, where I work, we have a fairly big parking lot, about 20, 30 feet, maybe from the building, the Wi-Fi just cuts out, it just goes away because obviously the Wi-Fi is in the building. I was about three quarters of the way up this parking lot and I was getting YouTube browsable worthy internet Wow! via the Wi-Fi. I would say that the antennas are pretty dang good on it. They have a package device called, I think it's a Sonom RDK, Rapid Deployment Kit, build a sphere of Wi-Fi and internet and communication stuff off a battery and it uses four of these devices as like the push to talk and all that kind of stuff for like first responders and stuff it can connect to 4g and 5g and wi-fi and satellite and everything else these are meant for like that communication stuff you'll find reviews are mixed on them that was just something i wanted to spend some time with and i've actually for the most part enjoyed it speed wise it's a little weird going back from a 90 hertz display to a 60 overall i'm not expecting the moon out of this phone for 150 dollars this episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln and you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. The other thing I've been doing, my Lenovo Legion Wi-Fi 30, I've actually jumped from Pop! OS, I went to Ubuntu Unity, and now I have jumped back to an Arch-based distro one. And this is the one that was giving me all the trouble. I am actually using Garuda Linux. That was an interesting experience going back to a version of Linux I haven't tried before. It's been a while since I've actually jumped to a distro that, like, I have no idea what this thing's all about. I haven't looked at it. I haven't really cared about it. Over the last probably two or three months, I've heard a lot about it. I jumped to it. It's working really good. And the GPU issue I was having with Salient and all the other ones makes it work perfectly fine in this particular version. So I don't know. Speaking of distro hopping, we have this weird habit in the Linux community of jump to a distro, jump to another one, jump to another one, jump to another one. My question to you guys is what do you think kind of brings that about? I think a lot of it's dissatisfaction. Okay, so let me caveat this. Nate, for you, this does not mean going from tumbleweed to leap and then leap back to tumbleweed. Well, in that case, wouldn't it be dissatisfaction just be, hey, I got to try the other distribution out. There are some other distributions out there, I realize. There's micro OS and the, you know, the Kubernetes uh, <laughs> thing they have going on too, but <laughs> some more server-based 
for the most part, for desktop Linux, yeah, there's basically the two out there that I like to hop back and forth on. No, no. In your view, there's <laughs> only two. Let's be honest. You do have the unhealthy obsession. Almost. No, it's unhealthy. You've admitted it. That was a faux pas. I slipped the tongue, you know? I mean, these things happen. I would say that it is variety. One of the wonderful things about Linux itself, and one of the complaints that some people have, is there are so many different desktops, and then each distribution can set them up a different way from default. Plus you have straight up Debian. Then you have the distros that are Debian based. The biggest one, of course, being Ubuntu. Then anything that has a DNF based, OpenSUSE, Fedora. Then there's the Arch ones. There's so much different variety and flavors of Arch and flavors of everything else. Sometimes people just want to check it out. And I have a hard time telling anybody that they can't distro hop or the distro hopping is bad. I've talked about it before. I've done that on my phones where this is working really cool. I like the way this is set up. I wonder how it's done over here. How does that work? How does that change things? How does the way this part of the UI affect the use of my phone? How are they making hardware tweaks or kernel tweaks on this version that aren't being done over here? And there's less of that on Linux itself than on mobile devices where sometimes developers would go in with a specialty kernel that really makes the device more usable or that specialty kernel is important to get other features working. I really feel that it is variety. And I know when I first came to Linux, that was one of the reasons why I was distro hopping. It was this whole new world and I wanted to see what everything was about. I wanted to know what was the difference between the different versions of desktop environment. How does this distro set it up different from that one because there are distros that have way better defaults on whatever version of desktop environment they're using than others. And that can really affect the overall user experience. And it's kind of fun to play with that and see what different developers are doing, see what different distro versions are doing. Yeah, I totally agree with that, actually. I know I'd be a little bit of a secret. I use OpenSUSE most of the time. No. I like to see how Fedora does it. I like to see how Kubuntu does it. You know, maybe there are some things in there that would help my workflow. Because, you know, if I just stay in my one little cubicle of desktop setup, then I'm not like learning or growing or expanding or there may be better ways of doing the same task, more efficient ways. And a lot of times I can't see that unless I hop to another distribution and just try it out, take it around the block, kick the tires a little bit and just see what they do different. I think that's not really technically distro hopping. It's more like distro toe dipping, perhaps. That's why I like to do it. That's why I checked out Fedora, why I check out Kubuntu. And also it's fun to do for me. It's fun to play when I have some extra bandwidth. Let's say I need to decompress like I like to play in Linux. Sometimes uh, things are a little more heady or more intense on my cognitive functions. But distro hopping, it's more fun. It's like a playground. I like to try out these other distributions to see how they're doing things for fun. It's truly a fun pastime of mine. We've kind of discussed this a little bit, but it was mostly about our personal journeys. We had talked about finding our forever distros. The difference with this particular one is I think the distro hopping is almost like ingrained into the culture of like new people coming in. And even for some of us who have been in it for a long time, new people, like you pointed out, Wendy, it's about variety and a sense of discovery and all that kind of stuff. So you'll 
you'll have more seasoned people that'll usually be looking for a specific kernel, a specific desktop, a specific tweak, a specific default apps. There's a lot of different ways you can look at stuff. And I think that is the distinction that I should be making a little bit more <laughs> than just distro hopping as a whole. It's definitely beneficial because there's so many different takes on what you can do with Linux as a whole, though. To experience and that discovery, to find really what is best for you helps. And the way to do that, though, is through experience and trying all that stuff. I agree. I really don't think that you can find a distro home that works for you unless you've tried a bunch of different things. I was on XFCE for quite a while because I was told that it was one of the lighter weight desktops and hadn't played with some of the others. And that was a downside because XFCE really wasn't the perfect desktop environment for me. It wasn't until I started doing some exploring, some what the heck, I'm just going to go ahead and try it and see what happens, that I found the one that was actually right for me instead of just reading about it. There's nothing wrong with reading reviews on different distributions and different desktop environments because we do have some other ones that pop up now and then, but there's nothing like taking it for a spin yourself and seeing exactly how it works for you. You I think it's really funny you made the statement how new to Linux culture, there's the distro hopping that is kind of part of that. Today, yes, I think that absolutely is the truth because internet bandwidth is so much wider and you can download gigabytes of data without any problems. But when I started in Linux, I had to buy my CDs, I said CDs, seven pack CDs of the distribution because downloading it was going to take a week. There was not a whole lot of distro hopping in my early years. So I did like a lot of reading and research and reviews and pluses and minuses before making a jump to another distribution because it was an investment, an actual investment of either time or money that I had to plan out. I didn't really think about that aspect of how it's in the culture now, but wasn't then until you brought that up. Now is definitely a good time to distro hop because it's way easier to do that. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that it makes it a lot easier to actually distro hop around now. Things like accessibility to the bandwidth for some, not all. We will caveat that. Oh, sure. It definitely helps having that. Tools like Etcher and Ventoy and all the other stuff make the process of trying out or nuking and paving I'm not a big fan of VirtualBox, but, you know, hey, do you if that's what you want to do, if you just want to test distro. That, I think, is something that tremendously helps in the long run with distro hopping and people experiencing the variety that Linux has to offer. And really, at the end of the day, there is such a wide different birth of takes on what to do with Linux. It's amazing and can be a little scary if you are on that new end of the track. The one place I take issue with the distro hopping is when people use it as a solution for stuff, though. And I could be wrong on that. Well, I think it depends on your skill level, really, for that. I think if you're new to Linux, you don't know the process of debugging or even if you're maybe shy to ask questions or whatever, it's probably not a bad solution. I think if you've spent some time in it and you start to find something that maybe has more of your objectives your Linuxy objectives at heart, maybe NVIDIA or certain specific graphics, things like Wendy needs her fancy OpenCL stuff. It's not advantageous for her to use a distribution that doesn't have that set up as easily as Nanjaro does. That's my one arch caveat right there you'll get. Thank you. For those that have a user experience, perhaps like a Pop! OS or an Ubuntu flavor elementary, I guess, is a better choice because it fits them. Maybe they have to kind of settle in that first. There's some settling that has to be done initially. Let's say you're in a distribution for six months, eight months, and then something breaks and you just hop 
adapt to another distribution, depending on your motives. Because I know some people, that's maybe just their life cycle. You know, they like to try things for a stretch of time. Maybe that's okay. But for those that this one thing doesn't work, so I'm jumping to another distribution and they've been in it for a while, I can see where you're coming from. I'm not so quick to make issue of that. It depends on where you are in the life cycle of finding your distro. If you didn't really like the distro you were on, there were just certain things about it that you didn't like, but they weren't complete and total deal breakers. But now the distro's broke, so you're like, ah, I have an excuse to switch. That's one of those good times to do it. And then you can develop the, okay, this is what works. In the very beginning, if something broke on it and I was still trying to figure out where I wanted to be, I wasn't in such a rush to fix that broken thing because there was this other thing that I also wanted to try. So I could either put all the time into finding out what was wrong with this one, or I could jump to something else and see if that would work better for me anyway. That is, I guess, a potential use case for the distro hopping being a solution. Whereas now I know what distro I want to use because it has the tools that I need in the way that I need to use them. Something comes up that happens where things don't work. Now I'm going to go, I need to find a solution to this so I can fix the problem and just continue using my distribution. After being in it now for four or five years, I know where to find some of those solutions. A while back, as it was October or November, there was an update that broke printing. Something got moved, and so you needed to run a few commands in order to make sure printing works again. Well, in this case, it was pretty easy to go to the Manjaro forms. Somebody else had already posted, hey, this update broke things. Somebody was really quick to say, hey, yep, these are the things you need to do. This is what it does. Then you'll be all good again. Not a big deal. But I knew I wanted to stay on Manjaro. I knew it's what would work best for me. So there was no reason to use distro hopping as a solution because I am very familiar with this distribution. I know where to look for the answers to help me solve the problem. Yeah, I think I guess where I'm saying, I don't want to say take issue is when it's kind of viewed as like the all-encompassing solution for people like you, Wendy, who are like, ah, I found the distro I want to use. It's like, why am I going to hop? This is speaking as someone who I've done distro hopping for a long time. That machine that I specifically had, I was very reluctant to jump around to different distros because it's like, man, this is going to interrupt my productivity. Different distros have different headaches, different pros and cons, pain points and whatnot. And not every distro is the same, despite what the GUI or the DE may look like. <clears throat> okay, we're not going to talk open source and Well, I was going to say, you're right, actually. I got nothing on that one. In fact, I think the statement that distributions don't matter is a little bit short-sighted. Yeah, because I think they really do matter in the bigger scope of things. And You've mentioned before, Matt, how they matter to you. You don't use the same distribution on every system. You have chosen specific distribution for specific pieces of hardware and how you are using them. Yeah. Will I distro hop on a machine? Yes. Until I find the right solution for that machine. And if the first one works, awesome. Second one works, awesome. No, I'm not going to make the distro try to fit the machine. It's not working. It's not working. If I have to burn through three or four distros to test a machine and I get that one distro that finally just everything works on it, then guess what? I'm going to use that one distro and I don't feel like the last hour was a waste of my time because everything just worked. So therefore I'm not troubleshooting. It saves me valuable time of trying to get everything set up and all the other nonsense that you would normally do on a new install of any OS. If I find that it just doesn't work, 
work, then I can just be like, okay, I have nothing on this machine anyway. I can blast away and don't care. It's weird sometimes when people are just like, oh, just nuke and pave. That is not a valid option for a lot of people. I see that mentality as the distro hoppers solution. Kind of, oh, the just fix all. Yeah. Not everybody has multiple yeah, drives yeah, yeah. like I do where there's really nothing important on the boot drive. Everything else is on separate drives. A nuke and pave, as far as data goes, isn't an issue. It's setup time, and there's no way for me to know how right. well a distribution will work until I've gone through the full setup and actually used it for working. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. As much as I joke with Nate about OpenSUSE and stuff, for me, again, it's a small niggle in the grand scheme of things. Is I just don't care for the way that the setup is done. I find it kind of obtuse. It's gotten better. I did try it recently, Nate, by the way. Kind of detracts from my being productive. And if you're doing that in the initial setup, I'm just not interested. That's why I don't do straight Arch install. Hate to break it to any Arch fanboys. You install it and it's just, okay, can I have the half an hour back? Because <laughs> I could have done this from a GUI and in the same amount of time, probably less. Pro tip, if you want a fast OpenSUSE install, just plug in an Ethernet cable or don't connect to a network. Boom, quickly done. And then deal with the updates afterwards. You have to deal with updates anyway. you slice it. I know. I'm just simply saying. I take the Ubuntu mentality is just update the stuff while I'm there. There are some people that really do enjoy going through the full setup process on their system. So that would be the people who enjoy doing Arch from scratch or what's the other one that takes forever that's even worse? Gentoo. Yes, Gentoo. There are people that enjoy doing Arch from scratch or Gentoo where they have to build everything and that is part of the fun of Linux for them. And while I have done Arch from scratch once, And it took me absolutely forever, which of course it was my first time. So of course it would take me forever because I'm still learning the steps and what they mean as I'm going through it. Positive experience in that way as a learning experience. But as the day to day, if I'm putting a fresh install in the system, it doesn't work for me because I have this limited time in which I need to get stuff done and having a system that I could quickly install get a base setup done and be on my way is extremely important. So it really depends on why are they hopping distros? What's the purpose for this fresh install? Because that is one reason why someone would go one of those routes. Totally not going to disagree. The nice thing with all the ability to distro hop is really at the end of the day, experience the diversity of approaches and stuff that Linux offers you. You will find everything from your weird esoteric arch strike type distros that are meant for like really narrow focus pen testing distros to weird distros like Garuda or Salient OS, which are very media production focused and that kind of stuff. Or if you want generalized OSs, I'll even be nice and put OpenSUSE in there. Things like Ubuntu, etc are all different takes and different ways of doing it. Exploration is kind of ingrained into the overall Linux community and the culture. So I think that's why we tend to sometimes, not all, view distro hopping as a solution to a problem as opposed to sometimes fixing the problem. If you're doing things like with multiple architectures, let's say you're playing on the base of like the Raspberry Pi, Pine64 type boards, there's a lot to be said for distro hopping. And that's probably not even the right term to use. Trying other distributions on special purpose appliance-like machines. If I have a specific purpose in mind, you're going to lie back in your seat and say, oh my gosh. But sometimes OpenSUSE doesn't quite fit the bill because they haven't really tweaked something for a specific ARM processor, ARM chip. So I may not actually use OpenSUSE 
for a specific purpose. Like, let's say, um, wait, wait, I know Wendy freeze frame that and just put it on loop. <laughs> I might end up using something more specific to a particular solution, like Screenly. Setting up Screenly, I'm actually going to use at this point Raspberry Pi OS. Reason being, the people that work on Screenly specifically for the open source edition, they build it tailored for that distribution. And actually, I've been playing with it to see if I can get it to run on OpenSUSE, but that's a whole other story. That was just a thought exercise. You know, you might want to test how an appliance works for a computer or whatever, and you might want to try other distributions just to see if there is a better experience or a quicker install. Time is a valuable resource and you don't just want to waste it. It might be to your benefit to try a few other things to see which one works best. But if the other tool sets that go along with it don't work as well, maybe you have to spend a little more time on the, the application and not so much on the underpinnings. Regardless of what your goal is, there may be some benefit to trying other distributions for specific use cases. That brings up a really good point and one that Ryan has brought up multiple times. Implementations for AMD are typically inside the kernel. So if you get a new AMD GPU, but you're running an LTS style distro that doesn't update the kernel, like Tumbleweed or Fedora or an art space, you may not get the full workings of that graphics card. So in order to use this new hardware that you bought, you may have to distro hop because there isn't a great solution inside the distribution you're in. This episode of DLN Extend is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications such as a master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. There are many reasons why I chose Bitwarden as my personal password manager. One of those reasons, it is 100% open source. You can also self-host your Bitwarden instance. They also offer security audits to make sure your passwords are as secure as they can possibly be. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. They offer an, a premium account for just $10 per year. What do you get with that premium account? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP authenticator storage and generation, priority customer support. Make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want that premium account for just $10 per year to support this amazing open source software. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. So speaking of our topic of distro hopping, we're going to hop right over into our host-related interests. And Wendy, what is your biggest interest right now? I am also going to be doing some hopping. I picked up a used Samsung Tab E at my favorite local pawn shop. Got a really good deal on it, especially for current running prices right everywhere. All around hardware prices are still crap. I love this pawn shop because they don't push up the prices to the absorbent rates right now, you're really getting the device for what it's actually worth. I snagged this Samsung Tabby. It was originally for Sprint, though I have no plans on putting a SIM card in it. It's just going to be a Wi-Fi device. Because it is an older device, it hasn't gotten any security updates for a really long time. 
So since I picked it up, actually before I picked it up, I wanted to make sure that there were ROMs out there for it. There were, and I've been doing the looking on what I need to do to get this root and rommed. I am tempted to try Post Market OS because there are a couple in the community side for it. And I've never tried that on anything. I haven't had a device that would run it. And I'm really curious how this ROM that is specifically meant to be a Linux mobile version will work on it. We run Lineage on all of the Fire tablets and I absolutely love Lineage. So if I can get post-market on it, I'd really love to give a review on how it's working and how it's being used on a Samsung device, on a tablet device, as compared to using one of the Surface devices that I have that's kind of a dual of touch screen tablet style and an actual tablet. How are you going to implement it into your regular daily life or is it more for like your kids to use? I don't know how I'm going to use it in general. It was just one of those things that I've been bummed. I haven't had anything lately to root and rom. I can't play with the kids devices because they actually use them for schoolwork and other things. So I can't be... Ah, pish posh. You can do that. So I wanted something that I could play with again. And this just happened to be within the right price range and with the ability to do some of that too. The hardest part is I forgot how much I hate flashing Samsung devices. I used to have Samsung phones who broke away from them, been using Motorola for a long time. I forgot what a pain in the butt it is to use Odin, though there is a new flashing tool, Hemdal, that I'm kind of curious to try. It seems like in many ways a lot like Odin, just more cross-platform than Odin is. I'll get it downloaded here and play with it a bit, see what happens. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing how that works out. I am not very much a fan of consumer tablets. I find them just irritating to use. I'd like to hear what comes of this. For the most part, I enjoy using some tablets. I don't enjoy using all tablets. When the Fire tablets were stock, it was an absolute miserable experience and that has everything to do with Fire OS. Now that they're running Lineage, I wouldn't say it's the best experience. And in that case, it's not the ROM. It's the hardware itself. It's really not super awesome specs. Sometimes things are running pretty slow. When I'm used to my desktop or other mobile devices that have higher quality parts in them that just seem to run so much smoother, now the Fire tablets aren't that great. But I know when my youngest leaves his tablet on the floor and then forgets that it's there and steps on it. Mm, that's a hardware problem. As we talked about <laughs> kids, I'm not happy with the fact that they're not treating their devices good. And this is a really good learning experience where you now lose it for the next two weeks because you weren't treating it nice. But it's one of those devices that I feel that I can use for that learning process and learning how to treat their hardware, other things in general nicely. And if it was to totally break, I wouldn't be out as much as say other pieces of hardware. This one, I wouldn't say it's the most highest spec. It is their E line, anything, but the S line has never had their greatest hardware in it. Could be fun for on the go type stuff. And if it's got an actual Linux on it, not just the Android version of almost Linux. Faux <laughs> Linux. I'm really curious about the differences between the two and running it on a device like this where there will be no keyboard input at all. Yeah, I definitely understand what you mean with the Fire devices 
one day. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, I don't care, you know, if you break them, but on the same note, they are not the best if you venture outside of the Amazon ecosystem at all on those devices. The Amazon ecosystem is horrible just because it's hard to close any application. Stuff is constantly running in the background. To me, it's Windows 10 for mobile devices and you have all this stuff that's constantly running and you can't really shut it down and it's eating system resources and then this stupid ad pops up as I'm trying to do this thing. No, Fire OS had to go. Absolute crap. <laughs> Lineage saved them. My daughter said that after we put Lineage on them, it made them usable again. Thank you, Lineage out there for making a very awesome ROM for these devices or community members. These are not officially supported. So it's the community that is making sure that these devices are actually usable if you can take the time to root and ROM them. And I know previous Samsung tablets aren't always the best to use, especially if they're not getting security updates anymore, or you hit that same thing that Apple does where once the base ROM is so old, there are certain apps that won't be installed. So since we're already there or about there on this device, it makes a perfect one for me to play with. Obviously, we just talked about it now with putting lineage on the Fire OS tablets or Fire tablets. I think I'll have to review that article you wrote. I have a tablet that could use some TLC like that. Well, I've got something new. It sounds like you also have something new or something new coming, Nate. It's on the way. Now, this is not necessarily a plug for the Destination Linux store, but this is a plug for the Destination Linux store as well as something I'm very excited about. I made a couple of uh, merchandise orders on the store. One, and I'm most excited about, is a DLN Extend apron. I've been wanting get an apron like when I'm doing stuff in the kitchen or whatever. You know, normally I just mess up a shirt and then there you go, more laundry. Michael at the live recording of Destination Linux on Sunday, he made a statement about there being an apron available. I'm like, whoa. And so I checked and there wasn't an apron. So I said, hey, you know, you said something about it. And he goes, I can do something custom for you. I have a custom DLN extend apron, that charcoal gray background and the logo coming. And I'm super excited about it because now I finally, after years of ho-humming around, have an apron that I can wear doing you know my kitchen work. That's one purchase I made. Very excited about it. If I could add an OpenSUSE logo to that, that might be make it even better. But the other was a Hardware Addicts tank top. When I'm working outside or going for a run, I can now advertise Hardware Addicts regularly because it's such a cool logo, the circuit board thing that's got going on behind the what looks like a CPU and Hardware Addicts on it. I think it looks really cool. And also keep in mind, if there's something like that apron that you would like and it's not on the store, just uh, antagonize Michael. I'm sure we can make some additions if there's some demand for things. You can put other things on the store if people want it. Be sure to check out the Destination Linux store for some cool merchandise, sport some Destination Linux shows, and share a little love out there of, of all the wonderful things that we do. I have to agree with you. Michael did an amazing job on the Hardware Addicts logo of all the logos, and it's not just because I'm on the show. The Hardware Addicts one is my absolute favorite. It is really cool. I do have to say. Too bad we're not close because then we could both wear our Hardware Addicts tank tops together. And like work out, go for like a trail run or something through the desert. Or if you're here through the sand dunes along Lake Michigan, that also could be fun. Oh yeah, that would be an awesome run. And our Vibram five finger shoes which I got a new pair of those recently too, but that's not related to us at all. As you know, I wear them, hardware addicts, working out, perfect. You're just way too far away. Yeah, what can you do? You can always go a few state crossing runs one day. Meeting in the middle is like North Dakota or maybe like the yeah. edge of Montana. Yeah, it's a long ways. Well, Matt, I don't want to call you the network enabler today, but since you are, what have you got to enable us with on this fine recording? The only enabler I am is the one that highlights stuff, whether or not you purchase it, not my fault. Right. So like someone who has addiction to chocolate chip cookies and you wave it in front of their face saying, hey, 
don't eat these. They just came out of the oven. Yeah, they're just going to like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> they're piping hot and made with the best chocolate I could find. No, see, this is like taking that person that has an addiction to chocolate chip cookies and taking them to the grocery store and just standing them in front of the cookie aisle and telling them, now if you buy it, it's your fault, not mine. Kind of. Wow. That's the difference. <laughs> well, I like mine better because I said it. The game that I am going to enable you guys to look at and whether or not you purchase is totally up to you is one called Final Fantasy Type 0 HD. This is originally a PSP game that got upgraded for like four years to never actually port this thing over to the West. So it sat in this weird limbo because as the PlayStation Vita came out around when this was originally put out on the PSP, it had this weird life cycle. They ported it to PS4 and PC. Yes, this does work on Linux. Yes, you will need a glorious egg roll or something similar to actually get it to work on Linux. This is a game that takes a much more the consequences of war, almost a spec ops the line kind of take. People doing what they will, growing up and being, I don't want to say indoctrinated because it's not the right word, but finding their place in a battlefield. And it's based around like the concept of like a militarized school and that kind of stuff. There's a whole story arc to it that I can't explain in a brief overview. Looks like a militarized Catholic school. You're not technically wrong (laughs) it's not the most graphically pleasing looking game because again it started out as a psp game that's been kind of uprezzed and stuff the character models look pretty good like the main character models it's just a really unique game there's different elements to it there's the typical action oriented combat there's like a strategic element to the combat for like overworld map gives it a almost a simplified rts real-time strategy element to it there's a lot to like about it it's a much darker game for a final fantasy game because most of the final fantasy games are teen i believe this one is rated m there's a lot of depth if you just watch the trailer for the game just keep that in mind i really enjoy it i think it's worth 30 bucks give or take do again about that many hours out of it as far as playing it definitely worth getting i think well, I would say it's a very interesting looking game. I like the juxtaposition of different themes. It has like an 1800s look to it as far as like the clothing goes, but some modern elements of clothes like from now, I'll say 1940s, I would say. And then they have battling on horseback with energy swords, it looks like. Maybe they're not. But then also fighting these giant machines, tank like futuristic. This mixing of eras, I think, is visually very interesting for me. This is not my genre of game because there's three dimensions in it, but I think it looks great. <laughs> well, Nate, so here's the thing. When we get you on GameSphere, we're going to get you in the game game that is not three dimensional. No, you can do a three dimension game. It'll just expose how it'll be somewhere between two and three D. Let's put it like that way. Two and a half D or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. You can throw me in with the sharks, it's fine. Or wolves, whichever. I really can't wait to see what you come up with for him. Really. Nate's probably already bought it, but already a recommendation I made on the show. Ooh. What, you're saying that you enabled me to buy it? Yes, I did. <laughs> it wasn't actually the game that I made the recommendation for on that episode. Oh, that's right. You sent me down a bunny trail and I ended up buying something I didn't mean to buy. This one's different. I made the recommendation that you should look at it. You looked at it, you bought it while we were recording, and then that wasn't the game I recommended for other people, but for you, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Matt. You're a real pal. I know. I, I'm sure <laughs> Steam loves me helping people part with their money. Enabler. <laughs> <laughs> Enabler. Yes, I do enable people to play games that they would not have normally tried. Novel idea. It's almost like a hosted show that focused specifically around that. Oh, wait, I do. That's part of your charm. <laughs> oh, that's right. I do. I forgot.
We'd like to continue the discussion with you on Telegram and Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to their social channels and all our shows and creators at DestinationLinux.network. For more information on where you can find stuff about me, go to CubicleNight.com. Links to my regular written blatherings, podcast, and YouTube channel can be found there. You can follow my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. You can find me on Mastodon at WendyDLN at Mastodon.online. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome DLN Extend swag, along with stuff from other shows across our entire network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. 